Heavenly Father, we ask that you would graciously send your spirit to us now and deal with your servants according to your love and teach us your decrees. Oh Lord, we pray that we would go from this place, from our homes, wherever we go throughout the week. Lord, we pray that we would go and that we would look more like the Lord Jesus Christ because we have pondered your word, we have meditated upon your precepts and your spirit has applied them to our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue this morning our series in the book of Colossians as we study the words of Paul. And Paul has been extolling the Lord Jesus Christ in previous verses. Those are the verses that we've been looking at of of late and the Lord Jesus and who he is and that he is the image of the invisible God, uh, that he is the one who has created all things, he is the one who continues to sustain all things, he is the redeemer, the one who has redeemed his body, uh, the church. And so this morning we continue looking at uh, what the, the Apostle Paul has to say about the Lord Jesus, but particularly about his own work as a servant of the Lord Jesus. So in last week we looked at how uh, people are at enmity towards God, that they're enemies in their minds, they're alienated from God, and we looked at how they have been reconciled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of verse 23, as he's been speaking about the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every servant, every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So now the Apostle Paul is going to begin speaking about his role as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to focus particularly on verse 24, what he says there about himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he behaves. And in verse 24, we read, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now this verse is a verse that has been used in different ways uh, down through church history to Uh, expound different doctrines, uh, things that I I believe are even opposed to uh, one another. And so this verse has a a curiosity in it, which um, some of you may have even noticed as you were reading it now, that Paul says here in this verse that there is something that is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, that Christ is lacking in regard to his afflictions. And particularly this verse has been picked up by the Roman Catholic Church as a proof text that Christ's death was insufficient to pay for sins. That Christ's death was insufficient to pay for sins. And so Christ has indeed uh, started the, the payment for sin, but it is insufficient to pay for your sins. And therefore, the apostles and other saints down through history have been able to suffer themselves on behalf of believers of people in the future who will look back and then they can they can benefit from the sufferings of the apostles and other saints and so that's what Paul is speaking about the Roman Catholic Church would say is that he is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in that the apostle Paul is actually atoning for sin by the sufferings that he experiences and so the Roman Catholic Church teaches that there's this treasury of merit that is available and that is is there from the saints in that they were able to pay for some of your sins and then that treasure of merit is available to you if you will simply do good works that the, the Pope approves and as you do that through the papal system basically you can have your sins atoned for through this treasure of merit along with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now is that what this verse is teaching? 
when it says that he fills up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, is it teaching there that Christ's death at the cross was insufficient to pay for sins, that we need others to suffer on our behalf as well, particularly godly people like the Apostle Paul? Well, I'd say no. Such teaching flies in the face of the rest of Scripture's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death. That Christ's death is sufficient is again and again taught in the Scriptures. Even the Apostle Paul, back in verse 22, when speaking about the reconciliation that we have through Christ, he says in verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. There is no hint there in verse 22 that there is something lacking in Christ's death for our sins. No, we have been reconciled. We have been made holy in his sight. We are without blemish and free from accusation because of the death of Christ, not because of the sufferings of the Apostle Paul. And of course, we know the, the great cry that the Lord Jesus gave on the cross after he had suffered at a time just before his death. What did he cry out? It is finished. Not it is started and there's still work that needs to be done to pay for sins. No, it is finished. Payment has been made in full. And of course, the rest of the New Testament teaches this, and some passages are very keen to make clear that Christ died once for all. For example, Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verse 24, which uh, Hebrews is a wonderful book that speaks of the high priest, Jesus Christ, and his work, and how sufficient it is. Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verse 24, we read, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one, in comparison to uh, the earthly priests, the Levitical priests, the Jewish priests. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of the apostles? No, by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Very clear teaching from the book of Hebrews there, that Christ has suffered once. Just as you die once, Christ died once to pay for sin. And so therefore we know that there is nothing lacking in Christ's atoning work at the cross. There is nothing lacking in his suffering for our sins. And so we cry, along with that hymn writer Bliss, guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Yes, we ask the question, can it be? Hallelujah, what a saviour. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And so therefore, if we start to say that there is something lacking in Christ's atoning work, then we make a mockery of the cross. And I don't want to criticise Roman Catholics themselves but the dogma of Roman Catholicism is one that is despising, even as it seeks to, it claims to honour the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it's actually bringing dishonour on his atoning work if it says that his work at the cross was insufficient. And if you've never trusted in Christ's death then, then come to Christ for salvation. If you do not believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, do not delay, come to him. There is a treasury of merit, but it's all through the work of Christ. Not your works, not anyone else's. If you're trusting in Christ plus other works, whether it be yours or someone else's or the Apostle Paul's, you are insufficient in having your sins paid for. It has to be in Christ alone. And so I encourage you, come to Christ today. Do not delay and get salvation from your death to have eternal life in heaven through Christ. But then what does this text mean? If Christ sufficiently paid for sin, why does Paul say that Christ's affliction are still lacking because that is what the verse says after all that there is something still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions in verse 24 what does this mean well Christ still does experience affliction there is something lacking in Christ's affliction because there is an ongoing affliction to the Lord Jesus not in his physical body as he experienced so many years ago but in his spiritual body the church the Apostle Paul has already tried to make very clear that his, the church is Christ's body, that we as believers in Christ make up Christ's body. And Christ's body therefore does indeed today still, while we live in this sinful, hostile world, this suffering world, then of course Christ does experience affliction through his people, his spiritual body. And we see this throughout the scriptures as well, that it's taught that when Saul himself, when the Apostle Paul used to persecute the people of God, he was confronted on the Damascus Road by Jesus himself, and Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? No, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul's like, who are you, Lord? He's at a loss as to knowing who he's been persecuting. Who's this person that's appeared to him? But by persecuting the church, Paul finds out he's been persecuting the Lord Jesus, that Christ has been afflicted by his persecutions of the Christians. And Paul teaches this again and again in his letters, and I give you another example in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. And so then it makes sense that the afflictions of Christ are still lacking, that Christ's afflictions are still lacking because the sufferings are ongoing, that God's people still suffer in this world today, so therefore Christ still suffers in this world today. Christ inaugurated his kingdom, he began the kingdom by his atoning work at the cross, but the consummation of his kingdom is not yet. We live in this period of now, not yet. That there's still an ongoing growth stage, so to speak, of the kingdom. And that growth stage often, frequently, involves suffering of Christ's body, the church. And so Paul then for, therefore suffers, and Christ still suffers, for the church's sake. And that's what we read in verse 24, that it's for the sake of his body, the church, 
that Christ continues to feel affliction and that Paul felt affliction so many years ago. Just as an athlete grows muscle through pain, it would be lovely if you could become very fit without pain, but if you want the muscles, you need to experience the pain. And it's the same with the body of Christ. We can grow somewhat without pain, but if we really want to grow, then it's often that the Lord suffers with us, that we experience sharp pain to then experience the great growth, that for the sake of the church, we experience the pain that Christ feels in his spiritual body. But has the church suffered and grown? Yes. And the Apostle Paul knew this all too well. When he says there at at the beginning of verse 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. He's talking about personal experience, from personal experience. Paul didn't speak from an ivory tower and say, oh, you down there all have to suffer and you will all grow, but I don't really have to suffer. No, he suffered probably more than all in the New Testament. And he even recounts the many things that he went through uh, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He's speaking about uh, super apostles who boast of much of themselves. And he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Is there anyone who wasn't in danger from? And he continues, I've laboured and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer with Christ, to suffer with Christ the persecutions of the church. But why did Paul undergo such suffering willingly? Well, it was for the sake of the church. He knew that as he suffered that people were being saved, that people were receiving eternal life. And that is why he can say at the beginning of verse 24 that he rejoices in his sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he speaks about his sufferings and he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Because of the death that Paul was experiencing day by day of his body, of Christ's body, life was being given to people, that life was coming and working in people as the kingdom expanded and grew. And it's not only the Apostle Paul that experienced this. We see this again and again, that with suffering brings knowledge of God and the advancement of his kingdom. It's not only Paul. Who else? Well, read your Old Testament. You can see again and again that as people suffer, 
People can come to the Lord and can know God and can grow in their knowledge of him and their, and their holiness. I mean, we just read that unusual passage from Ezekiel chapter 4, and Ezekiel there having to lie on his side for days and days. Why? Because that was the work the Lord had given him. That was the suffering he was to experience to point people to the fact that a future suffering was coming to Israel and to Judah. And so you see it in the New, uh, Old Testament and you see it in the New Testament, in the life of the Apostle Paul, of course, but all through the book of Acts, you see people, the apostles, experiencing persecution for the Lord Jesus. And then down through church history. Continue reading church history. Don't stop at the end of Acts. Keep going and read of the persecutions that happened in the Roman Empire and still are happening today. All the way down through the ages, we have seen the church suffers. But as the church suffers it also grows. They suffer for the sake of themselves, for the sake of themselves that they grow in their understanding of God and they grow in their holiness and that people are saved. And so we can see this today as well. The affliction of the church causes growth even today. What's a current example? Well, consider the deadly virus that is going through the health and resources of believers and unbelievers alike. We're in a time of suffering. I think most of you would admit this. It's not, of course, what the Apostle Paul experienced, that kind of suffering that he experienced, but nonetheless, we're experiencing something that is unpleasant in comparison to what we once experienced. Now, how does such a virus cause the church to grow spiritually? Well, in many ways. I've seen an increased interest in Scripture, reading and prayer and fellowship with believers, even though it may be electronically, during this time of suffering. Even though it's not a direct persecution, it's a time of suffering nonetheless, like disasters that come. They can cause the church to grow, even in the midst of the pain. And then it doesn't just cause us to grow spiritually. Of course, a virus like the one we're experiencing can cause the church to grow numerically, as people who are unbelievers are humbled by the circumstances that are going on around them. And there are many examples of this. I just look at all the different gods of the Australian people that have been decimated to some extent because of the virus that has hit our society. You think of alcohol and drunkenness that happens at pubs. It's not possible at the moment. The sexual immorality as brothels are closed and the hookup culture can't happen anymore because you can't just meet up with strangers. The fine dining that people love so much and the gluttony, the god of food has been restricted. And of course, the materialism that comes and covetousness that comes with uh, retail therapy that people will call it, uh, the endless shopping that goes on, of course, people can't do it to the same extent that they can because of the virus, the lockdown that we've experienced. And of course, the greed in gambling and the share markets have been causing headaches for many as their idol of money is being stripped away. And of course, people who make a big deal of their job, they experience that they, they, their idol is their employment and they live for their small business or they live for some sort of work that they have. Um, of course, we've seen people's jobs affected uh, extraordinarily because of the lockdown. And those people who make much of their physique, their gym work, that they go and they love the gym and they, they love to build up the muscles and that is their God. That is their idol. Of course, they cannot do it during the lockdown. And of course, those who live to travel, 
They've really been limited and I don't know when they're going to get to go back to that idol that they love so much. And so as people see their idols stripped away, I've seen an increasing interest in people from people about things of an eternal nature, an increased interest in speaking of spiritual matters. And I'd be surprised if you too haven't had some interesting conversations as a result of the pain that is being experienced by everybody in society, including the believers. And so how should we respond to the church's growth through affliction, whether it be us personally or whether it be numerically, as we see unbelievers come to the Lord? Well, we can learn from the Apostle Paul. What does he say that he does in response to the suffering that he experienced? Verse 24, now I rejoice. I rejoice. Paul actually rejoiced in the pain that he experienced because he saw the church growing. And he says this again and again in his letters. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am sad? No, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He rejoiced in being poured out like a drink offering. That does not sound pleasant. But he rejoiced in it and was glad. And of course, it's not just the Apostle Paul who experienced joy in suffering for the church's sake. I mean, the supreme example is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, what does he say? What does it say about the Lord Jesus there? For the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame. The Lord Jesus actually considered the cross as a joy that was set before him because he knew the growth that would come from the church as a result and, of course, the glory that would be given to his name. And so we know everyone gets down in affliction, gets down in suffering, but the Christian is different. He remains joyful and can rejoice Why? Because, like the athlete who rejoices in the pain that he experiences for the gains that he sees in his body and potentially the prizes that he wins, so we too, as Christians, know the joy of suffering because of the gains that are achieved and the prizes that are won for the sake of the church and our Lord. Church growth, seeing the church grow, seeing your own holiness grow, seeing the holiness of other believers grow, seeing people saved gives a greater joy than any pornographic film, a greater joy than any meal that is cooked by the finest chef, gives a greater joy than even the biggest bank account. The Apostle Paul witnesses to that truth and people through the ages have as well. And so how do we respond to suffering? We rejoice And what else does the Apostle Paul teach us to do? To embrace affliction rather than shun it. We see it in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and what does he do? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He actually fills up his flesh. He welcomes it. He embraces pain. And he teaches this in other places as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. He will give up 
as much as he can. He will suffer as much as he can for the sake of the church. And so we too should embrace affliction for the sake of the church and the joy that follows of such pain that we experience. We can happily accept natural disasters, the sicknesses that we experience in our bodies, and even the persecutions that people will make upon us for being Christians. We can also happily embrace self-denial and sacrifice for the sake of the church. It's quite a wonderful blessing to be in Australia. Thankfully, we do not experience the suffering, the physical afflictions that the Apostle Paul experienced so many years ago, outright persecutions for his faith, but even the many sicknesses that they experienced in the early church that were just part of the natural order, but because of good sanitation, because of good health care, we do not experience them to the same extent. We have good uh, um, medications that can minimise the pain and suffering that we experience, but there is still pain that we can embrace, even in our Western culture. And that comes in self-denial and sacrifice of the things that we have. We have two things that our Western flesh screams when we lose them, that we see as afflictions to lose. What are those two things? Minutes and money. Minutes and money. When we lose our minutes, when we lose our money, we feel afflicted. Why does the flesh scream so much? Why does our Western flesh scream so much in affliction when we give away minutes and money? Well, minutes for God means less for TV, less for video games, less for the crossword, less for fiction, less for just fluffing around and doing not much at all. And when we lose our money, it means less for pleasures, less leisure time, and less self-assurance. Less money we have the less self-assurance we have. And so we should follow the example of the Apostle Paul and fill up in our flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions by denying those things that God uses for the advancement of his church. How do you start? How do you start in beginning to fill up in your flesh a denial of minutes? Well, donate some minutes a day to Bible reading and prayer. God gives you 24 hours a day and then there's 60 minutes in every one of those hours. Give up some of those minutes to Bible reading and prayer. Your flesh will scream. It will feel like an affliction, a terrible affliction. One of the ways I feel best to minimise the flesh screaming is I set a timer. I set a timer, I work out how much time I'm going to allocate and then I set a timer. And then my body relaxes and I know that this is given over rather than despising every minute that passes by and think, can I stop now? Can I stop now? Can I stop now? No, I realise this is my time that I'm giving over to Bible reading and prayer, to my devotion to the Lord, so that I grow as a Christian. And then consider donating some minutes each week to Bible reading and prayer with someone else. Not just your own Bible reading and prayer, but with someone else. And it could be with lots of different people. It could be someone from church. It could be with your own children. If you start to do Bible reading and prayer with your children, it does start to feel like an affliction. Uh, Fairly easy on. It can be a joy as well, and we can rejoice in the affliction. But it's when you start to do a Bible reading with your children that suddenly someone needs to go to the toilet. Or suddenly someone is very, very thirsty and can't read the Bible aloud unless they get a drink. And so the affliction begins. And there's a resistance within my own heart then to continue 
to feel that affliction for the sake of the other person. But it doesn't just with children, with wives, with friends, with church members. We can set aside some minutes, give up some minutes, donate those minutes for the sake of the church. And why do I start with Bible reading and prayer? Why don't I start with acts of good of goodwill towards others? Well, it's because as we do Bible reading and prayer that we learn about the commands of the Lord and how to behave towards others. And we then, of course, give up minutes in accordance to what we've been reading about in our Bibles. And of course, you don't donate minutes each day to your own spiritual growth and to minutes each week to the spiritual growth of others, but you can start donating some minutes to occasional service at church. At your church, you can serve in different ways. At the moment, it's very restricted as what you can do to the church, for the church, but there are many things in the church that need done and that we need people to do. And you can start to donate minutes to those tasks. And you may even want to move into a leadership position. If you've got gifts in leadership, then that is something that it takes a lot more minutes, but it's donated for the sake of the church. And at the moment in our church, we need deacons. We desperately need deacons. The poor elders, the other elders, not so much me, the other elders are having to pick up a lot of the tasks that deacons would normally do. We need people to donate minutes, to give up their minutes, suffer affliction for the sake of the body, the church. And, of course, we can donate a lot of minutes if you move into full-time ministry, whether it be as a pastor, whether it be as a missionary, whether it be in parachurch work. Of course, if case of if you're gifted in those areas we don't encourage everybody to simply go into into full-time ministry but it may be that the lord is calling you to suffer the affliction of giving many 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 minutes over to the work of the lord full-time so that's how you begin filling up your flesh with a denial of minutes what about how do you fill up in your flesh a denial of money well set aside an amount every week for church offertory now, of course, this is difficult because we're not taking up off a tree. Um, you can do electronic deposits, but when we come back, of course, you can uh, deposit what you may not have been able to give for the last few weeks. Um, but if you give to the local church, then, of course, giving that money is an affliction. It takes from your uh, leisure spending. Uh, but, of course, it covers the different works of the church. It covers ministry in Des Moines. It covers support for those in need. It covers support for missionaries. And children, you can start this from a young age. I was taught very early on to set aside a portion of my pocket money each week and to give it to the Lord's work, give it to the church. And it may be a small amount. Even if you just give five cents, you get into the habit of doing it and that'll carry through with the rest of your life. And that five cents, you can say, look, one cent goes to the preacher on Sundays. Uh, one cent goes to the buildings and making sure that their lights are on. So I've contributed to something. And one cent can go to one particular missionary and another cent can go to another missionary and another one can go to uh, another missionary. You can actually say, I'm supporting three missionaries, I'm supporting that the building's open and I'm also supporting uh, the pastor so that he has something to say on Sundays for the benefit of my soul. And so just giving a small amount, you can actually say, I've given to all these different things. That's the beauty of giving uh, an offertory to the church rather than to each thing individually. It can be broken up and spread across the board. And so we should do that. I mean, the Apostle uh, Paul recommends that uh, to the church in Corinth, saving up a little bit each week. 
uh, so that there's a generous gift to be given. And then, of course, we can set aside a monthly amount uh, for missionary given, giving. If you want to learn how to uh, give up, uh, to deny your, your, your money, uh, the, the, the flesh, the, the, the screams to accumulate money, uh, to give it up monthly amounts for missionaries. Some of our missionaries aren't at 100% support, and they've never been at 100% support, and they've been years and years and years in the field. They still need that support to keep on going. And then, of course, you can regularly buy books to read yourself and read with others to give away books. Uh, This is part of self-denial, of the money that you want to keep. You can fill up in your flesh by spending money on things that will be a benefit for people's souls. I've actually seen it. I've seen people who want to know what is something that is helpful for them with a particular situation. I have a book for them, and I say, this book will be particularly helpful for you to read. And they look at it and they say, how much does it cost? Oh, $6. Mm, uh, maybe, have, have you got something? I could, could you just photocopy something or send me something online? Or Yeah, $6, it seems like a bit much. I've actually seen that. That people are not willing to spend $6 for something that could be a benefit to them. They do not see it as a way of, of giving up for the Lord. It is such a terrible affliction. You look at Poor Ezekiel had to lie on his side for days and days and days. I'm called to give $6 up for the benefit of my soul or the benefit of someone else's soul. I've seen, you know, you recommend this book would be really helpful for that person. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. We need to learn to spend money for the benefit of the church. And occasionally that even means buying technology to connect you with others, particularly at this time so that you can still have fellowship. And we've been doing that at the church at the moment. We've spent quite a lot on technology of late, uh, just so that people are still being fed and so that the church continues to grow. It feels painful to me every time I have to buy another piece of technology for the church because I love face-to-face, but I do it. I, I get the other elders to help me approve it, but I do it because I want to see the church grow. Now, I can't promise you pain-free giving of minutes and money but I can tell you that there is a sweet joy. The Lord Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it is testified again and again and again in my life and the lives of others. It is blessed to give rather than receive. Sometimes we need to work at it, at the rejoicing in the midst of affliction. Um, And I was even convicted this week by my lack of rejoicing in the effects of the pandemic. As I was thinking about all the suffering that we've experienced, so much of it I've been resisting and been groaning about and grumbling about, and people ask me, how am I going? And I say, oh, okay. There should be a rejoicing that is experienced because we see that people are growing in their relationship with the Lord and that people are being saved as they experience their idols being decimated. So we need to work at that rejoicing sometimes or a lot of the time, it's hard to say with the Apostle Paul, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, but we should work at doing so. And so as I conclude, I need to ask you some questions. Do you know the joy of suffering with Christ for the sake of the church? Do you know that joy of suffering with Christ for the sake of the church? Would you say you're willing to suffer for the sake of the church? Would you say you're willing to suffer for Christ? And how are you filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. There are, his afflictions are still lacking because he hasn't come back. We haven't gone to glory. 
How are you filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church? Would you call your giving of minutes and money an affliction, a sacrifice? Would anyone else, if they knew how much you give for the Lord of your minutes and your money, or is your giving so small that you don't really notice it? It's the equivalent of a cup of coffee every so often. How can you give more of your minutes and money this week for the sake of the church? And is your life joyless because you're not filling up on affliction for the sake of Christ's body? If you do not feel much joy, is it because you do not feel much affliction for the sake of the body? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your love and power you have saved us by your death. There is no more to pay for our sin. It is finished. But Lord, as we come before you, we ask that you would forgive us for our groaning and complaining about your suffering that we as your body feel as your kingdom grows. Instead of groaning and complaining, O God, we ask that you would help us to rejoice in such sufferings and fill up in our flesh what is lacking for the sake of your body, the church. And we pray this in your name. Amen.